Hey, so good news, bad news. The MRI confirms that Patches tore his Achilles again, which is unfortunate. But it looks like Don is making calls to Vancouver about Bo Horvat. So, eh, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, so Horvat is definitely going to the Islanders, but don't stress about it. Waddell has over a month to figure something out, and I hear Patrick Kane is leaving Chicago for real this time. So, we'll see what happens. Okay, so Patrick Kane is definitely not a thing anymore, but it looks like Timo Meyer is coming to Carolina. There's like nine teams kicking his tires, but I'm sure Don's smart enough to figure something out. Okay, so now it looks like Timo Meyer is down to just Vegas, Carolina, and Jersey. But I'm optimistic, so keep your eyes out for that trade announcement. Okay, so Meyer is actually going to Jersey in a monster deal that we probably shouldn't have matched. So Meyer's dead to us. Long live Nick Schmaltz. Okay, new one. Elliot Friedman is saying that Carolina's out on Schmaltz because his contract doesn't really match the master plan. Can we please, for the love of everything, stop living trade rumor to trade rumor? I have aged more in this past month than I have in the last 25 years of my life. It's exhausting. Oh my god, Brock McGinn is on waivers. I got it, I'll be back. 9,393 days of frustration. And on the 9394th day of NHL existence, the Carolina Hurricanes have won the Stanley Cup. Welcome to Home Ice Advantage. With historical perspectives, modern day deep dives, special guests, and a healthy mix of good, bad, and or hot takes, this is the best place for you to learn about your Carolina home games. I just want to say thank you, and I'm looking forward to this challenge. It's an honor, and I think we're going to do great things. There was only one place we could have started this week's episode of Home Ice Advantage. Brought to you by Home Ice Advantage. I don't know, guys. Share the show. Anyways, the Eastern Conference arm race is a very real thing, and you've heard about it everywhere. The Boston Bruins, who are on a historic pace, have gotten better. The New York Rangers, who honestly aren't having the year they were hoping for, got better. The New Jersey Devils, who look like they're finally starting to figure out what they want to be, got better. And I want to look at all three teams, because while, yes, the arms race has happened, of course, I feel like people are missing why it has happened, why each team has done what they've done. And then right as I started recording, the Carolina Hurricanes have made a trade. We'll talk about it in the second segment, but for now... I want to start with the New Jersey Devils. Okay, so the team started this season incredibly hot. Yes, we all remember that. We were there for it. But I wouldn't go so fast to call them cup contenders because they got Timo Meyer. I would point to the fact that that team is like the third youngest team in the league. The only teams that are younger than them are currently in the Bedard sweepstakes. So I'm not saying they're not going to go on a run. But normally, you need some trial and tribulations to be able to actually win a Stanley Cup. 
And I would point to why they felt like they needed to make this move in the first place. It's because they realized, they knew that honestly, Carolina was better than them. Boston, much better than them. They didn't have a real chance come the playoffs. So what did they decide to do? Well, let's bet the future a little bit, go out and get Timo Meyer. If you want to go across the river, go to MSG and focus on the Rangers, the story is a little bit different. While New Jersey has kept the Metro competitive, they haven't allowed the Hurricanes to want to rave with the title, the Rangers are pretty much the team they were supposed to be last year. Last year, the Rangers looked fantastic, you know, challenged the Hurricanes for the Metropolitan Division title, and then would eventually go on to defeat them second round, game seven, because Carolina can score. And there were two giant pieces of that season that are missing this year. One, Igor Shostorkin is not playing out of his mind. He went from having a 9.35 save percentage to I think he's at like 9.10 right now, 9.09, which is about average for him. And then Chris Kreider is not having a 50-goal season. He won't get close, for a matter of fact. I think he's on pace for like 35, 36. So without those two major pieces, New York and their general manager knew that they're not really competitive. They would lose to Jersey in the first round, who is currently their first round opponent. And even if they did, they probably want to get lucky against the Hurricanes in round two. So what are you going to do? You have to get better. And great news, absolutely fantastic news if you're the New York Rangers, Patrick Kane is finally going to leave Chicago. After years of whispers here and there, he's really going to leave because they have to rebuild, and honestly, he just doesn't want to be a part of that. And with his no-trade clause, he gets to pick where he's going to go. And it looks like the Rangers are going to be his final destination. Except maybe it wasn't going to be because the Rangers felt it necessary to go out and get Tarasenko. Patrick Kane even came out and talked about how he was kind of upset about the move. And... Now, it looks like by the end of the week, Patrick Kane will most likely still end up a New York Ranger. They just have to kind of figure out the paperwork, which, huh, I mean, it sucks. Like, the real thing is here, both of these teams in the Metro have become better. I would point to New Jersey's youth as a reason why they can't go on the deepest of runs, or they shouldn't, I should say, they shouldn't. And then for the Rangers, Tarasenko and Kane are both unbelievable players with not a lot of runway to learn the system, build the chemistry, and get going. It's not going to be impossible, but these are not easy dubs for either franchise either. But Boston, Boston's where things become different. So Boston added their two pieces. I'm not going to talk about this for a very long time because it hurts my soul, but Boston is on a historic pace. And why? Like, why is Boston playing so well? Well, it's the last ride. It's well known that Bourgeon will not come back. This is most likely his last year. you got to think he spent two and a half months thinking about whether or not he would come back. And then when he agreed to come back, at the time we all thought Boston was going to suffer through injuries and Wayne Preble will come back and then maybe they could squeak their way into the playoffs, make it interesting. Bourgeon retires. It's all fine. Pasta also may or may not be staying in Boston, and I'm going to assume he's not because Boston doesn't love paying a premium for their players. They always go for the hometown discount, which is funny because no one, and I mean absolutely no one, ever calls them cheap for that, but 
whatever. And then Moshan would just be kind of stuck there licking people. And who knows if he'd get another real chance at the cup. So this year, while they have caught that fire in a bottle, they need to push some chips in. Give this group that have given that franchise their golden years a real chance to win the cup. Now, again, no one can deny that all three of these teams are better than they were. All three of them. And so far, including the trade that just came out as I started recording, Carolina is not measurably better either. So, what does this affect, right? Like, how, how is this different? And the real thing is, is that, is it impossible for the Carolina Hurricanes to win the Stanley Cup? No, it's not. Because in the postseason, you never really know. Think of the Blues a few years ago. Think of the Habs even sooner. Think about Tampa Bay being eliminated, actually, sorry, swept by Columbus after their historic season. It's The playoffs are always a different time. you got to put a little extra into it. So you never know. But it's definitely going to be a harder climb for Carolina, especially if they don't make a blockbuster trade of their own. So what does Carolina need to do? Honestly, the job for Don Waddell and his staff has not changed from just a few months ago when Max Pacioretty went down for his second torn Achilles in just six months. They still need to find a depth defenseman. So going into the postseason, Calvin DeHaan has played well. Let me not take that away from him. Calvin DeHaan has played well. But if he can't stick with it through hopefully four rounds of the playoffs, who do we have to replace him? Dylan Coughlin is not that answer. And even if Calvin DeHaan can stick with it, and there's nothing saying that he won't be able to except his age, so you know, take that as you will, what happens if someone gets injured? God forbid anyone on the blue line gets injured. Who are you going to place him with? Dylan Coughlin again? Still no. No thank you. So we have to find someone who we can put on that blue line. And there's been, you know, chickens out there. There was some rumblings about TDA coming back. I don't think that was ever actually real. We'll find out as the time goes on. But this is definitely something that Don Waddell is actively looking at. And then, of course, you know, we have to find the replacement for Max Pacioretty in his production. Because that was supposed to be our trade deadline acquisition. Max Pacioretty was supposed to join the lineup. He was supposed to score a lot. Everything was going to be great. And that happened for just three games. For just three games that happened. And now he's trying to find the replacement. We know it's not going to be Bor Horvat. We know it's not going to be Timo Meyer. So we'll find out who it's going to be. I still honestly expect more from Don Waddell's office. So no one panic yet. At 2.01 on Friday, start panicking. At 3.01, full-blown panic. You do whatever you want. I won't even judge you for it. But for now, it's a game of patience. Don Waddell is still cooking. No one saw Vincent Trocek coming when we traded for him. And even though it was in the offseason, no one saw... Brett Pesh, well, sorry, Brent Burns, their, na- their first names are too similar, guys, just too similar. But no one saw Brent Burns coming, and no one saw Max Pacioretty coming. So keep your eyes out, guys. The- if I had to put money on it, it's going to be someone we aren't talking about, someone who Elliot Friedman hasn't tweeted about, Le- Peter, uh, Pierre, Pierre Lebrun, excuse me, hasn't mentioned. But the Hurricanes did make a trade with the Edmonton Oilers. 
we've been waiting kind of for Carolina to do something right over in the Eastern Conference. All these other big teams have made big moves, big splashes for now. Carolina acquires Jesse Pugliarvi from the Oilers. Yeah, he was a high draft pick that just never really worked out in Edmonton, and they've been talking about moving him for a while now. So uh, he goes to Carolina where there's kind of a little bit of a Finnish mafia there led by uh, Sebastian Ajo. So, you know, maybe that change of scenery and familiarity will help him find his game. He's a big right shot forward. We'll see how things go for him. Uh... That's right, Jesse Pugliarvi is finally a Carolina Hurricane. And why do I say finally? Because it's not like this guy has been in a bunch of trade rumors, except he has. Going back years, this man has been linked to the Carolina Hurricanes. And for some reason, out of everything else that's going on right now, Don Odell chose this moment to trade for him. Am I mad about it? No. Does it really affect our season at all going forward? No. This is a long-term move, so he has one more year of $3 million, and then he's a restricted free agent. I'm assuming Carolina wants to keep him, mainly because forced Finnish connection, if you believe in the Finnish magic. And then, also, he has a ton of experience with Sebastian Ajo playing on the Finnish national team together in 2016. So, is this a huge move? No. Do I expect more to come from Don Riddell's office? Yes, I've already said as much. And really, this is just kind of a depth move. It's kind of whatever move. I've seen some people say that it's a nothing burger. I don't think so. I think it's more of a long-term move. I've seen some people say that it was just like a trade for the sake of making a trade, which I also don't believe. This has been a target of the Hurricanes for seasons now. And they saw the opportunity because Edmonton needs to make room so they can try to get Chiprin. So they pulled off a deal. The funny part about this is I've seen an absolute ton of people say this move makes it easier for Edmonton to get Chiprin from Arizona, which is true. It's very true, except that they still have to make another move before they could fit him underneath the cap, while Carolina could still trade for him free and clear, absolutely no problem. So at the end of the day, did they slightly help Edmonton? Yes. Does it affect their trade possibilities with Arizona at all? No. In fact, some people have said that, well, how do you know that Edmonton uh, won't just get Arizona to retain? Because Arizona has come out and said they will not retain. If you want any of our players, it's going to be straight up, okay? We are not retaining any money here. Their problem is right now is hitting the cap floor. They're not retaining for you. But I already mentioned... Yeah, so Chikrin is still a possibility for people who are wondering who the Canes are looking for. I've even seen Kevin Haynes linked to the team out of Philly. I don't hate either option. They both have their positives and negatives. But we have to wait and see. Ultimately, by the time this podcast gets released on Wednesday morning, there will be two days and a handful of hours before the end of the trade deadline. And I don't know what's going to happen between the time of recording this and by the time I posted it, maybe I've inserted a segment somewhere in here. But be patient. Don Waddell has literally made a trade within the last 45 seconds of a trade deadline before. Why is everyone panicking with days left? Would it have been cool to get Timo Mayo? Yes, of course. Was the price higher than Don was willing to pay? Yes. Do I blame him for that? No. At some point, the team has to start going in on trades. And that window is wide open. I don't think now is the moment. Next season, maybe. That might be a good time. This season, 
Not so much because you have 90% of the roster. You have all of your staple players under contract for next season. Why do you want to rock the boat now when you still have next year? Next year, throw some things to the wall. See what sticks. For now, I'm fine. Playing it steady. Still looking for a piece. I still want him to get another piece. But I'm not upset that he didn't make that Meyer deal. What if like Borhovat didn't work out because... Honestly, we're too good. Don Vidal came out. It was like, yeah, so they just wanted um, the highest first round pick they could get. And they got that from the Islanders rather than us. Assuming that we're going to go deeper into the postseason than the Islanders will. Before we move on to the next segment I've planned, I want to share some words by Rod Brindamore from right after practice, but before the team got on the plane to go to Vegas. The first one, he was asked by Chip Alexander from the News and Observer if... This is a stressful time of year, which is kind of a slam-dunk answer for Rod, and he delivered. Stress is on the player, for sure, this time of year, especially if you're one of those guys that knows he's getting moved. I mean, that's that's really hard, and and it takes a while to to come to a new place and just feel comfortable. I mean, it just does, so um, that's that's also, you know, a concern about bringing in new guys and um, the, the time it takes to get acclimated to your group. Sometimes it's, it's not enough time. I don't want anyone to worry that any of our players have that mindset. Because even when people thought Seth Jarvis was going to be traded, he never was. People playing, paying close enough attention would know that Tom Dundon, Don Waddell, and now even Rod Brindamore have said that the roster itself will not be touched. We're pretty you know, set on our group. I don't think we're moving people out, you know, so I think, um, yeah, it's not really, we don't think about it too much. For the final segment of this episode, I want to talk about sports betting in North Carolina. And if you're not in North Carolina, stay, because I think it's going to interest you. And if you're in North Carolina, stay, because it's definitely going to interest you, especially if you ever plan on placing legal sport ragers within the state. I don't think I would surprise anyone in saying that I keep a close eye on the business side of professional sports. Well, I don't know, but I definitely keep more of an eye on it than the average sports viewer. And just like everyone else, a few years ago, I don't know, like half a decade ago at this point, I was amazed by how quickly sports gambling seemed to have taken over all of sports media. And honestly, it turns out that there was a very good reason for it. After last week's episode, I did a ton of research and I talked to some very smart people who know a lot more about this subject than I do. And it basically all comes down to a 2018 Supreme Court decision where the court voted 6-3 to to strike down a 1992 federal law entitled Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act because the government, very good at coming up with names. Incredible. Anyways, the law barred every state in the union, excluding Nevada, from allowing those citizens to place wagers on a single sporting event. You could still place a parlay, which would be on multiple sporting events or multiple things to happen within that sporting event. So, for instance, you could bet that every home team would win in the NHL that night. And you could bet that the New Jersey Devils would defeat the Anaheim Ducks inside the Prudential Center, but the New York Rangers would lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning 
inside of MSG. But if you just wanted to wager on the fact that the Rangers were going to be absolutely dumpstered inside their own building, you would be out of luck. In the years since that Supreme Court decision, sports gambling ads are everywhere, and more than two dozen states have moved to legalize the practice in some way. And it looks like North Carolina is about to add their name to the list. Another cleverly titled bill was introduced last year in the North Carolina General Assembly, which is the legislative branch of the North Carolina government, an act to authorize and regulate sports raising in North Carolina was proposed last session before dying on the floor of the House by a single vote. You may have a couple questions on why sports gambling has become so prevalent within sports and why so many states are moving to enact laws and why so many sports teams and leagues are backing the project, including the NHL and its commissioner, Gary Bettman, who balked at the idea of Peter Kamaros moving the Whalers to Vegas 25 years ago. And the answer is actually fairly simple. Money. It makes the world go round. Haven't you heard? So, of course, the companies themselves, like the sports books, stand to make money because they get a piece of the wager. But also, the state gets to tax that money. So they make buco buco bucks. And then sports teams get advertisement money from these companies that for just an insane amount of money compared to other advertisers, and they get to make money. So all three people make money hand over fist. Now, your next question might be, okay, well then, how do the North Carolina law work? Is there any specific details, stuff like that? And of course, there is. So the real thing is here, within the next couple of weeks, in fact, any day now, really, a bill is expected to be introduced in the North Carolina legislature. I got to sit down with WRAL's Brian Morphy. Brian is WRAL's investigative sports reporter, which is just a dope title. Um, and also, if before we get into the conversation, if you want to follow Brian for more coverage, his Twitter handle is awesome sauce. It is Morphstorf, at Morphstorf, I should say, and that's just a great name. Or you can just Check in at WRL.com for more local coverage of news. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. So for the second time in many sessions, uh, the North Carolina General Assembly is trying to pass a legal sports gambling bill. It has the support of Governor Cooper and bipartisan support from across the aisle from Republicans. And they say they're hopeful that it's going to pass this time which is the exact same thing they said during the summer. So what's different this time? Yeah, well, I mean, yes, you're right. They said the same thing last year, and it failed by a single vote in the House. Um, a couple things are different. Uh, there's been a tremendous turnover in the state legislature. About a quarter of the House is different than it was last year. Actually, I just finished counting this. 12 yes votes are gone, 12, uh, 11 no votes are gone. Um, and then the several people who did not vote in, on the issue are gone as well. So you're talking about more than 25 people have been changed over. And uh, supporters of the bill will tell you that the, the incoming class, the people who are, are new to the legislature, are more supportive overall of sports gambling, of mobile, of legalized mobile sports gambling than, than the people who have left. Um, and then secondly, I think last year's process was very rushed, very hurried. Uh, 
I've covered state legislatures. I've never quite seen a scene where the bill was being amended on the floor, uh, contrary to what the supporters of the bill wanted. Um, you know, the, the college sports betting was taken out. Um, that was obviously not what the supporters wanted. Um, and so I've talked to lawmakers who felt like last year's process was just so rushed. They weren't 100% sure what they were voting on. There were changes being made to the bill all the way up until until the vote. They feel a lot more comfortable. They've had some time to digest the bill. They feel a little to talk to people, to talk to their constituents, to talk to, to lobbyists, to talk to people who are in support of the bill. I think they feel a lot more comfortable, um, you know, with where the bill is now than being forced to vote on a bill that was changing by the minute. So looking back at last year's bill, uh, ignoring the Dixie classic angle that came up on the floor. I mean, it, it's basically what 23 other states already have. So there would be mobile sports betting on your phones. So DraftKings, um, Betway, you know, all those companies that we already see ads for, even though it's not legal here. And then there would also be sports books around the state, not including the three tribal casinos that already have legal sports betting. That's correct. The sports book is a sort of a misnomer, I, although I think they will look a lot like you think. Uh, of a sports book, if you've been to Las Vegas or, or other places, um, there are some regulations. You'll you'll basically be voting at a key. You'll you'll be doing it at a kiosk, um, and you'll have to have an account with one of these outlets. You know, FanDuel's, DraftKings, wh whoever. Um, you'll have to already have that account. You won't be able just to walk in, place a bet with cash, not register with anybody. Um, but but yes, there will be places where people can gather, place bets on sports, and and watch sports. So there is a storyline that's come out that sports teams want more of a skin in the game, let's say this time around, than they did last summer. Why, I guess, is my basic question. Yeah, so they're going to be – they're going to be yeah, – well, everything really comes down to money in, in the end. So that's um, – there'll be between 10 and 12 licenses approved. Now, this is if all, if all this gets passed, but, but let's just assume it gets passed. There'll be 10 to 12 licenses available. And what the teams wanted and, and some of the venues around the state is they wanted that license to go to them because if they have the license, then now they can't run a sports book, you know, PNC arena or the hurricanes can't, they can't operate a sports book. That's not what their business is. But if they hold the license, that's the valuable property to hold. And so if FanDuel's or DraftKings or, or BetMGM or Barstool or any of these people wanted to put a sports arena, I mean, a, a sports book in PNC Arena, or they wanted to get access to use that license, they would have to come to the Hurricanes. As it stands, it's going to be the other way around, um, that the, you know, FanDuel's and DraftKings will be the ones acquiring the license, and then the Hurricanes will go to them and say, hey, do you want a partner? And so just... The license is the valuable thing. It's going to cost a million dollars. It'll be renewable after five years. And, and the teams wanted that valuable property. Um, they wanted the, the tangible thing that allows you to operate a sports book in the state. If you look at what other states have done, most other states have gone to some sort of allocation process or tethered process where sports teams or venues in the state, racetracks, um, in, in a lot of states they have horse racing, so racetracks like that have gotten licenses or at least a share of the licenses and then they've been able to cut their own deal with with a uh, an operator normally a sports team doesn't make any money on wagers whatsoever mainly because that's super corrupt they make right. it off of uh these companies coming to them and giving them a stupid amount of money to let them advertise on their uniforms or in their building or just through commercial breaks yeah and i think that's what we'll see i, I mean i think we'll see 
you know, somebody partner with PNC Arena. And so you'll you'll go to PNC Arena. They'll eventually there'll be a sports book there. The, the DraftKings Sportsbook at PNC Arena. They'll have signage, at, you know, on the ice or or on the on the boards around the ice, and the Hurricanes will make some amount of money off of that. I think if they had the license, they could dictate the terms of the deal a little bit more and maybe make more money off of that. But yeah, they don't. To be clear, the sports team doesn't make money off of the wager. Um, you know, if, if you bet ten dollars on the Hurricanes to win and the Hurricanes win, you get your ten dollars back. You know, you win, you win 20 bucks. Um, the Hurricanes aren't, aren't seeing a percentage of that. And, and conversely, if you lose your bet, the Hurricanes aren't seeing a percentage of that. It's all in whatever deal they can make with the, with the operator. Um, and that, you know, whether it's for advertising or sponsorship or, or any of that stuff. So let's focus then on why people want the bill and why people don't. Um, Roy Cooper, and it's going to sound weird, but his Republican allies on this issue, Say it's going to be good for the state. It's already happening in North Carolina. People either go to Virginia or they just vote uh, vote illegally, excuse me, um, gamble illegally on their phone. So why not regulate it, let the state get its cut and protect the citizens of North Carolina while also being able to generate money for schools and roads and whatnot? Am I missing anything on that? No, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the argument. And, And what's really interesting about this bill is it splits the caucuses, right? There are Republicans for it and against it. There are Democrats for it and against it. Um, and so, and, and obviously, so there are allies, you know, strange bedfellows, I guess, on, on this issue. But you've pretty much laid it out. Most people say, hey, it's happening already. Uh, we're not getting any any benefit from it. And, and the, the, the one thing you may have left out is they talk about these illegal offshore accounts that, that some people have and that that money is then being used to, we don't know. We don't know for what it's being used. Is it being used to, to finance drug cartels? Is it being used to finance terrorism? You know, th- those are straw man arguments because we, we don't know what the money's being used for. It might be being used so somebody can buy a yacht and, and hang out on that yacht. But, um, but that's the argument, right? This is happening. We don't, we're, we don't know where the money's going. We're not getting our cut of the money. Let's regulate it. Let's allow the citizens to participate and be protected, have some kind of consumer protections as well. Um, that, that's, the, that's pretty much the basis for, for the pro uh, sports gambling argument. Okay. And then from, my, from what I've seen, the opponent's thing is that, I mean, gambling is addictive. People will generate a problem. And there's just not enough in the legislation. Um, I didn't see this number change, but it would just be a million dollars to go towards uh, programs and advertisements for people who need help. And that's just not enough to them. Yeah, the, the, the new bill, and again, I've only seen draft legislation. Not, it has not been introduced, at, at least as the time of we're talking. That's $2 million. It's not $2 million for okay. problem gambling. I think the people who um, are against it break down into a couple of camps. There are, one, there are some people who think, all gambling is wrong. The state should not be involved in gambling at all. Let's repeal the lottery. We shouldn't have the lottery. We shouldn't have gambling. You know, it's just morally wrong, and it's not something the state should be involved in. And, and you can certainly, people don't have to agree to that, but they can certainly understand, you know, where those people are coming from. There are other people who believe that the societal costs are just too high, that, that this is going to lead to addiction, and which is going to lead to bankruptcy, which is going to lead to depression, which may lead to suicide and, and broken families and all that. And that the societal costs of getting involved in this business are just just too high and not something that we need to be involved in. Then, then there are some others who say, yeah, let's do let's do in-person sports gambling. Let's have a place at, at PNC Arena or Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. And if you want to go place a bet, you got to pay with cash. So that means you got to have the money. 
and and you have to travel there. You have to travel there. You, you can enjoy your sporting events. Um, there are people really worried about if it's on your phone and, and we know how addictive cell phones are um, and we know how addictive gambling can be. If it's on your phone and it's tied to gambling, like we're going to create a whole lot of problems that, that we don't really want to create. Um, and so those those seem to be the three camps uh, that people break down into. You're, you're probably not never going to convince those first people who think gambling is is immoral and, and should not be done. And the state certainly shouldn't be in that business. Um, and, and it's really hard to see how you might convince some of the other people too, because that, that cell phone addiction issue is not going away. The money generated from this bill or the, you know, if it passes and eventually it gets enacted would be not pun intended, I guess, game changing for professional. And if it goes back to collegiate collegiate sports because of the revenue that could be generated, just full stop. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, North Carolina has a twenty-five to twenty-seven billion dollar budget. Um, you know, in Virginia, where the, this has been happening now for two years, um, and they also changed the rules to to make it to get rid of some tax advantages for the operators. This in twenty twenty two, they only generated forty-eight million dollars. Now, I'd love to have forty-eight million dollars, right? Generate forty-eight yeah. million dollars, but in a state with a budget of twenty-five billion dollars, I mean, that's kind of a drop in the bucket. Um, and you'll see it, the bill includes, you know, normally when we collect money as a state of North Carolina, it goes to the general fund. Lawmakers can then decide what they want to do with it. This bill allocates money all kinds of places. Um, yeah. We've already talked about how the, you know, problem gambling would get $2 million. There's $500,000. And this is as the bill is, is written. Um, yeah. $500,000 would go, would be dispersed to every county in the state. Um, so $5,000 to each parks and rec department in every county. Um, then you can start to get into the interesting stuff. There would be $300,000 that would go to each of seven different athletic departments in the state, uh, mostly at HBCUs, but also UNC Asheville and UNC Pembroke. Um, then there would be – so once all that money is paid out, then, then the money gets allocated 10% to those same schools. So – you know, I mean, trying to do the math, they, they could be in for a windfall. I mean, you could be looking at an athletic department that suddenly gets a million dollars that hasn't been operating on, on that kind of scale. Yeah. Um, another 30% of, of the funds would go to this major uh, attraction fund that would help us get NHL All-Star Games and, and NASCAR All-Star Races, maybe the Ryder Cup, um, events like that, sort of one, one-off events held in sports facilities. Um, could even could even be used the way the bill's written could even be used for like a to attract the the democratic national convention or the republican national convention there um so there are some uses outside of sports but i think they'll largely this be used for sports and then about 60 percent of the rest of the money would go to the general fund so uh you know the the allocation is is all over the place here's the important question do you actually <laughs> think it's gonna pass just from I mean, what, from what I've reported, I, I believe I, I believe the supporters think it will pass. I mean, I've been told vote counts. Um, I, I'm really mincing words here. I'm, I'm sounding like a politician. Um, I've been told vote counts like, hey, this is how many votes we have in the House. This is how many votes we have in the Senate. And those numbers would indicate they could lose support and still pass the bill. Now, I don't know how accurate those vote counts are. Um, last year, I was told right before the vote, hey, we have this. Although the actions that were taking place with the modifications to the bill indicated they were worried about that vote count. Um, you don't usually change a bill at the last minute if you think you've got all the votes. You, you, you usually change it because you're yeah. trying to secure a couple of more votes. Um, so, yes, I think it will pass. I think momentum is on the side of the pro sports gambling 
uh, side of this. Um, you have to remember that this this issue is not going away. I mean, if it gets voted down this year, guess what? They're going to have a bill next year. And if it gets voted down then, guess what? They're going to have a bill again the next year. Um, it's, it just seems like an issue that's going to come up until it gets passed uh, because of the money at stake and because of kind of where we are as a country. And um, so I think... I think it will pass. I do think it will pass, but um, that doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing. I, I think there are going to be issues that pop up that, that we haven't even thought about. That was a perfect way to end that conversation. And the polling numbers don't look amazing, honestly, but they look fine. Meredith College, which is a local Raleigh university, did a poll just a couple weeks ago that asked a pretty simple question. Do you favor the ability to wager on professional and collegiate sports in North Carolina? 46.9% of respondents said yes, they are in favor of such a thing. 34% said no, they want to be in favor of it. And of course, we don't get the reasons why, so they could fall in any of those three groups that Brian mentioned. And then 19.1% just said they don't know, they don't have enough information, they haven't formed an opinion on it, they have never looked into it. So honestly, its favorability is fine, but that 20% of people who just aren't sure, it's going to matter a lot. Still remains to be seen if it does get passed. But when it does, because it will eventually, expect a sports book in your local sports building, whether an arena, stadium, ballpark, whatever, sometime soon. As always, thank you for listening or watching Home Ice Advantage. If you think that sports gambling should be legal in North Carolina, comment down below. Who do you think the Hurricanes should target during this trade deadline? Comment down below. I'll be there to interact. If you're only listening to the podcast, go ahead and tweet it at me. I'll most likely respond. I appreciate you for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, share this episode with all of your friends, your neighbors, your random aunt. I don't care. A view is a view. I'll see you next time.